And God is working and God is moving. And don't forget, he always leaves the best wine until the last. So he does. It gets better every day with Jesus. It's sweeter than the day before. And uh, if you have your Bible, listen, you don't want to hear me waffling on here, but if you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. I'm going to bring it. Chapter 47. I couldn't shake this wee thing off, so I'm going to bring it. And uh, if I was entitled my message this morning, I would entitle it Rivers of Living Water. I'm going to talk about water. I'm going to talk about rivers. I'm going to talk about springs. I'm going to talk about fountains. You just have to look outside. <laughs> just look outside. I'm in real. I'm in good company. You know. Praise the Lord. So let's read chapter 47. And afterward, he this is Ezekiel talking here. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from the under from under the right side of the house, at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward, and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the knees. And again he measured a thousand, and brought me through the waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And we'll stop there, and we'll trust that the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his precious word. Let's all pray, shall we? Holy Spirit. It's already been prayed, we need thee. We need him who is our shelter, who is our glory, who is the lifter up of our head, who is the one who walks in the midst of the candlesticks, in the midst of the lampstands, the one who lifts us up, who lightens our burdens, who makes our yokes easy. And we need you here this morning, Lord. You see every head that is bowed, every heart, every wee family right from the children, Lord, to the mums and dads, to, to the elderly. Lord, bless your people and bless your word unto their hearts and glorify your name. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Well, the word of God consistently uses the analogy of rivers to describe the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. And here in Ezekiel chapter 47, we are confronted with the prophet's vision of a miraculous river. The river, we are told, flowed from the temple or from the house or from the sanctuary of God. This river is full of prophetic significance as it is full of water. And it's not my intention this morning to deal with the prophetic aspects of the river, but rather to draw some simple practical lessons which have to do with our everyday Christian living. The first thing that we see about this river, the prophet shows is the source of the river. The source of the river. Every river in the world has a source. It has a fountain head. If there is no source, there is no river. It's just a puddle. But there was never a river 
with a source like the one Ezekiel saw in his vision. This river flowed out of the house or the temple of God. Verse 1 tells us that. Afterward, he brought me again onto the door of the house, and behold, the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. It was in the house or in the temple where God manifested his presence. So in other words, this river was flowing out from the very presence of God. Brothers and sisters, you must agree with me this morning that the river that Ezekiel saw was symbolic of none other than the Holy Spirit. And when I read that chapter, Ezekiel 47, what came to my mind was John chapter 7, away in the New Testament, the feast of tabernacles, the zenith of Israel's holy days were coming to a climax in Jerusalem. It was time, it was a time of hilarity and thanksgiving at the end of the harvest season. For seven days the priests and worshippers had carried water taken from the pool of Siloam and carried the water in golden vessels to pour the water in the temple near the altar. The significance of this was both historic and prophetic historic in that it reminded them of the way in which God had miraculously supplied the water to quench their physical thirst during the wilderness wanderings. Prophetic in that it looked forward to the day in which their spiritual thirst would be quenched. On the last day, there was no procession. There was no water indicating that the prophecy had not yet been fulfilled. Before that, Christ saw the merriment, the joy, the shouting. He saw the white-robed priests pour out the sparkling water. He heard the sound of the trumpets, but he knew. He knew that it was all hollow, and it didn't satisfy. And his heart, his soul was stirred because he knew that it was a passing moment of religious fervor and excitement. He knew that the people were carrying God on their backs instead of their hearts. There's someone here this morning and you're carrying God on you instead of in your heart. Your Christian walk is just laborious. It's It's like a treadmill and there's no joy. There's no thrill. There's no getting up in the morning rejoicing that you're saved. You haven't got him really in your heart. Before long, they would go back to their same old fears, their same old habits, their same old sins, their same old addictions, their same old sins and their fears, their their same old spiritual dryness, the same old, same old, like a hamster on a wheel, as as sometimes life is like, round and round. The excitement would evaporate, just like the water from the golden vessels would turn to vapor. It was at this moment that Jesus cried. And don't tell me he just spoke. Jesus cried and I'm sure he gesticulated with his hands, hands outstretched. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But the speck he of the spirit which they that believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was not yet glorified. Oh, what a scripture. 
What a scripture. Look at this scripture along with me. It's inclusive to all. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And yet it's, it's exclusive to some. Jesus said, if any man thirst, if any man thirst, if any woman thirsts, he didn't say if any man be religious, if any man be self-righteous, if any man be ambitious, thy criteria is thirst. And Jesus is just not talking about water, it's too old. He says, if you thirst, let him come unto me and drink. They tell me that thirst is the most intense desire a human being can have. We can have other desires, but they all can be contained, even the desire for food to a more degree. But not thirst. Not thirst, not, not water. We all know what Jesus was speaking about. He was speaking about thirsting after him, treasuring him, loving him, enjoying him, savoring him. Child of God, this morning, what are the things are you thirsting for this morning? What are the things that make you thirsty today? Is it a thirst for position? Is it for popularity? Is it for power? Is it an ego that you're trying to quench? You know, the word ego means E-G-O, edging God out. The Universal Dictionary calls it the doctrine of oneself. Is there people here and you worship at a doctrine of oneself? What's your thirst this morning? Are you thirsting after the things of God? Or, or even better still, are you thirsting after God himself? Oh, when we were worshipping there, I was as the deer panteth after the water brooks. Oh, listen to me. Can we say like David? Can we say like we sang? Do we pray that as, as we sang it? As the deer panteth after the water brooks, so my soul panteth thee, O God. Can we say like the psalmist, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when I shall come before him? Can we say, as the psalmist said in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsts for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory. So I have seen thee in the sanctuary. And then when I thought of that verse in John chapter 7, my mind Fast forward to, or reverse back to John chapter 4. Do you remember John chapter 4? Jesus said to the woman, the woman of Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, the, the woman of Samaria. You know, there's two Samaritans in the Bible. There's the, there's the good Samaritan. We've all heard that story. Well, here in John chapter 4, we have the, we have the bad Samaritan. She was waiting. He was waiting patiently at a well for her. And this woman who had a checkered life, five husbands and a living lover, came to the well for water. She was, she was thirsty too, so she was. And he was sitting on a well, and the Bible says he was weary, and he was thirsty. You know, we, 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 uh, we, we amplify the divinity of Christ, and we must. So we should not undercut his humanity too. He was just like you and me. He went through all what we were going through, even temptations. He knows what we feel. BBC would call that a technical hitch. The wee woman come up in a baby's bit of song. But this woman who had a checkered life and five living husbands, and the one that she was with now wasn't even her husband, the woman who had the biggest mess in her life. 
And yet she had the greatest potential. The woman said, said to the woman would have said in her heart as she went for the water, I can't get no satisfaction. Though I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, but I can't get no satisfaction. But she had an appointment with God at a well, and she didn't even know it. And maybe you've had an appointment with God this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe for the very first time. Maybe you were here, this, you're here and you didn't even think you'd be here, but you're here. You know why you're here? It's not an accident. It's not a because it's not a it's not a coincidence. It's not random. You're here because God wants you here. And she had the world pacified her, but it didn't satisfy her, and she was thirsty. And the long story short, as Jesus said unto her, So whosoever drinketh of the water, this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. And the water that I shall give him shall be in a well. In him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Have you got that everlasting life in you this morning? Have you got eternal life in you this morning? You may be, listen, you may have a, you may have a happy life. You may have a horrible life. But if you've got eternal life, this is what we're striving for. It's not this world. This world is fading. This world is passing. 80, 90 years, maybe 100. What is it? Most of us don't reach that. What is it compared to eternal life? This world is a preparation ground for our eternity. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning, he's the well. He's the water. He's the spring. He's the river. He's the all-satisfying, all-sufficient Savior. And in Ezekiel's, Ezekiel's vision, the waters flowed. Listen, he flowed out of the temple, a river. Out of the temple, the apostle says to the church at Corinth, he says, ye are the temple of God. Someone asked the question, where on earth does God live? He lives in you, and he lives in me. He lives in you, he lives in me. We are his habitation. And old bishop, the old servant used to say, God sometimes lives in poor, poor dwellings. And he does, but he's pleased to do so. And maybe you're here this morning, and you may have a sick body this morning, a pain-ridden body. You may be weak, have a weak body, a frail body, but you are more than a body. You hear me? You are more than a body. You're a soul but Jesus loves, Jesus died for, you're more than, no matter how much you take it up and look after it, you're more than a body. And whether you're healthy or sick or disabled, he's still his temple, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Imagine the Holy Ghost living in me, huh? Imagine the whole, you're going about your shops, you're getting the bus, you're working in the house, you're seeing you, and all the time, the power of the Holy Spirit is in your body. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. No wonder Paul said, Paul says these words, my bodily presence is weak and my speech contemptible. That wee man, you wouldn't have given a second look to him, but see inside him, he was like a walking piece of dynamite because of the power of the Holy Spirit. No wonder Jesus says, out of your belly. Some people say, the ESV says the heart some people say the innermost being. Old Bishop says, I like the word belly. <laughs> I know what they're talking about. Out of your belly, out of your depth, shall flow rivers 
of living water. In other words, brothers and sisters, this morning, God wants us to become, doesn't just wants us to become recipients that we might become donors. Do you hear me? He wants us to become recipients that we might become donors. Remember Peter and John going up into the, going up into the, 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 the gate, the lame, the, the lame man? And he says to the lame man, he says, I have no silver or gold, but such, such as I have, I give thee. What have you got, child of God, this morning? What have you got? What have you got? If you got one talent, give it to him. If you got five talents, give it to him. Whatever you've got, give it to him. There's something inside. Child of God, have you been giving out this week? Or have you been taking in? Have you been taking in everything? Listen, God never intended your life to be a sponge. God intended your life to be a spring. Listen to the Savior. I've come not to be ministered, but to minister to, but to minister unto. I am one among you who serveth. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. The apostle said, the son of God who loved me and gave himself. That word gave means poured out, poured out himself for me. The Bible says concerning Jesus, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed to the devil. For God, he went about, hallelujah. Even when you stand still, even when you wait, it doesn't mean to say you're hanging about, you're still moving. Even when you're waiting on the Lord, it doesn't mean to, to stand still. It means continue to move. Old C.S. Stud said, C.S. Stud said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. Brothers and sisters, is that river flowing in you this side you this morning? Is it flowing? Is it springing up within a well? Oh, Pastor, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I'm not talking about 20, Pastor, 10 years ago, I, I, I'm not talking, this morning, this morning, don't, don't live in past experiences, this morning, there's new man every day, there's fresh bread every day, do you hear me? This morning, what about now? What about now? Rivers of living water means a living relationship with the Lord, a glorious, radical relationship with Christ. You know the most important thing in your life today, brother and sister? The most important thing in your life this morning is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? Oh, pastor, I don't feel him close to me. Listen, he's closer than your skin. He's closer than your skin. And he's inside you. And maybe you're struggling this morning. Maybe you're struggling every day of your life. But there's a desire in there. You still want them. You still want to serve them. You still want to love them. Christianity is a relationship with God. It's just not an, a far escape from hell. And it is an escape. But rivers of living water means movement. The Jews never bathed in, 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 in stagnant water. They never bathed. They never had a bath. They always had moving water, a stream, a river, a, a spring, or a fountain. The living water was always proactive. And all you and I, listen, we ought to be proactive. The Bible says, in him, in him we live and we move and we have our beings. Ezekiel saw the river, the waters coming out of the temple. And just as the river flowed from out of the temple to the outside world, you read about that in verses 78 and 9. Jesus says that out of our hearts, out of our temples, would flow rivers of living water to the outside world. And maybe this morning I'm talking to someone here, and the river in your heart doesn't flow anymore. It doesn't spring up. 
Just like Isaac's wells in Genesis chapter 26, your, we- your wells have been filled with earth. You've let the Philistines in and they've, filled, they've, clogged, the, they've clogged the wells up with earth. Paul said, set not your affections on things, set your th- affections on things above, listen, and not on the things of the earth. Earthly things. Maybe they're a Christian this morning, instead of experiencing a well, maybe instead of experiencing a spring and a river, your life, your Christian walk has become like a pool. A pool. And a stagnant one at that. Maybe there's a believer here this morning, you feel your life is stagnant. You feel your life is on hold. Things are stale. You can look back to better days. Instead of the river flowing, it's become a pool. And maybe you fall into the sin. It's become almost like a cesspool. It's become contaminated by sin. And sin is toxic. Am I talking to someone here? And you've let the Lord down. Am I talking to someone trying to help you this morning? Am I talking to someone here and you've lost, you lost your testimony? Maybe you're backslidden heart. Maybe you've grieved the Lord. Maybe you've walked away from God. Oh, you're still in the church. The Bible talks about a people that honors me with their, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And maybe you've shook, shook the deacon's hand at the door and you've joined in the singing, but you know rightly that your heart is far from God. And you've walked away. See, when you walk away from God, you never walk away alone. There's always somebody follows you. There's always somebody you can be saved, be somebody soul, and they look at you, maybe just saved. And the folly you so they do. And this morning, you think life is all over you. Like the old hymn writer wrote the song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I always thought to myself, what horrible words. Lovely song. Prone to the God who died for you. The Christ who came all the way from heaven to this earth, sin cursed her, and took your place on an old rugged, not only took your sins, but took the wrath of God. For you and for me. And you're thrown off the cross. Maybe you may have been talking to, maybe I'm talking to somebody this morning. That's what you're thinking of too. I've had enough of this, Christian. I, I've had too many disappointments. I, I, too, too many people have hurt me. I prayed for this and it didn't happen. This, my friend left me. Right? Huh? Prone to leave the God used to love. Brothers and sisters. Maybe the old devil's come to your ear and you're trying your best for God. The old devil who's the accuser of the brethren, he'll come and tell you, listen, 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 you've sinned. You've fallen from grace. Do you ever hear that old word? Oh, you've fallen from grace. Then when you're, see, when you're down, brother, I've, I've known I'm, I've been down. The devil sticks a boot in. And other Christians help him. Everybody <laughs> said, there's one or two Christians, give my hand. And maybe the devil's telling you this morning, you're a husband. You're a beaten docket. You're a busted flesh. You're an also run. Maybe he's telling you you're finished. Maybe he's telling you you've fallen from grace. I want to tell you this morning, child of God, that you can't fall from grace. You can only fall into it. And amen. I'm going to say that again. As a child of God this morning, you cannot fall from grace. You can only fall into it. And I've learned in my life since I've been saved, my father, and I've got a good, hey listen, he's a good father, amen. He's a good, good father. Not only is he a good father, he's a perfect father. I'm a good father, but, but I'm not perfect. My kids will tell you, I'm not perfect, but he's perfect. He's perfect, and he's our father. 
He's not our grandfather. Our grandfather gives the kids back. Isn't that right? I have eight grandchildren and I always say to Sheila, I love to see them coming. I love to see them going. And I don't mean that in the wrong sense. I, I say to her, I love to see the lights. She says, what lights? I said, the tail lights. <laughs> but, yeah, but listen, he doesn't like to see the tail lights. He loves us. He's our father. He's our father. And I've learned this in life that my father will never let me go. He will never let me down. And he will never let me off. Hear me? He'll never let me down, go. He'll never let me down. And he'll never let me off. And when we grieve him, the Bible says he, he chastens us. And he does it because he loves us. But nothing you can ever do, nothing you can ever do this week will diminish his love for you. Do you hear me? God's not a moody God. God's not being happy, doing the, or doing the, what is it, the, 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 the deity. He loves me, he loves me, not happy, No, he loves you with a steadfast love. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And we get our eyes on the word chasten. Oh, God's going to beat us up. Instead of getting our eyes on the word love. And see, when you love somebody, when, I was a, when the kids were younger, I used to, you know when they step out of lane. I used to ground them at five o'clock. See, by six o'clock comes the wrong grounded. <laughs> your, your heart goes out to them. You know, because you were there yourself. Isn't that right? And that's what our Heavenly Father does. I, I remember years ago, uh, if you're in school and, and, and any of the kids acted up, the teacher would get them. You know, you played up or you were carrying on. The teacher would get them and put them into the corner. I don't know whether they still do that now. Put them into their naughty corner. And, and I heard about this school, and the kids used to go into the naughty corner. But there was this teacher, and he always felt, felt sorry for the kids. Because imagine, if you go in there and sit, stand for half an hour, there's not much to see shit. Well, you can only look at the windows, I suppose. But if there's you no know, window, it's, it's just pale and dull and gray. And he always felt sorry for the kids. And one afternoon, he came in with a load of paint. And a load of paint brushes. And he went to the corner, and he started painting, right in the corner, rainbows, and clowns, and animals, and trees, and wee smiley faces. And when the kids were sent into the corner, instead of looking at an old, grey, dull, cold wall, they seen rainbows, and clowns, and animals, and trees, and an infusion of colour. And listen, brothers and sisters, when we act up and grieve the Lord, you know what happens? He puts us in this corner. He puts us in their corner. And we don't fall from grace. We fall in death. Amen? Moses, think of Moses. Moses, you sinned. Did you fall from grace? Moses would say, Michael, I played the fool. I was silly. I thought it was a big shot. I unleashed my passion, my anger, and I killed a man. And I had blood in my hands. I messed up. And I ran ahead before God. And God put me in this corner. And he put me in for 40 years on the backside of the desert. But he came and he painted pictures on the wall. He painted pictures of a burning bush, of a miraculous rod. He painted pictures of a tablet of stone and the words on it, Thou shalt not kill. And he painted a nation of Israel of two million people. And there are me leading them out. Did I fall from grace? No. 
David? What about you, King David? Did you fall into sin? You want to talk about it, Michael? But did you fall from grace? Oh, Michael, I played the fool. I stayed at home when kings go to war. I seen a woman showering. And in the words of old Leonard Cohen, her beauty in the moonlight overthrew me. And I sinned. Sinned to the point where there was blood in my hand. And God put me in his corner. And I stood there in the corner. And all my bones were broken. But he came. And he showed me pictures of green pastures and still waters. He came and he gave me a song. And one of the songs was, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. But David, did you fall from grace? No. 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 I fell into it. Peter, Peter, New Testament, what about you? Did you fall into sin? Did God put you in, put you in his naughty corner? Did, 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 you, did, did, you, fall, did you fall from grace? And Peter would say, Michael, I played the fool. I boasted to the Lord that he could count on me, that I wouldn't go to jail with him. And not only to jail, but I would even die for him. I cut a man's ear off. A man to cut his head off. But as providence would have it, I only cut his ear off. And I denied the master three times with cursing and no things, no things. And listen, I let him down. I let him down. But he put me in this corner. And with big tears running down my face, I thought I was his disciple no longer. But I seen Mary Magdalene in the corner with a picture. And she was running out of the tomb after hearing the angels saying to her, Tell my disciples and Peter. Is there a Peter here this morning? Or a Patricia? <laughs> Listen. God can forgive you. God can restore you. God can make you new again. And that sword, that same sword that Peter used to cut off Malchus' ear... The day of Pentecost, God took that sword out of his hand and gave him another sword. They called it the sword of the Spirit. And he preached that thousands of people. First time, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people were saved and three epistles. Listen, and a martyr's death after that. Peter, did you fall from grace? I fell into it. And you can fall into it too. Brothers and sisters, God knows all about us this morning. He can read us like a billboard. He knows all about us. We Scotchman says, he knows the worst about me. And he still loves me. I used to sing that week. I love singing that week chorus, Jesus loves me, this I know. I always change it and always say, Jesus knows me, this I love. Hallelujah. And he knows every one of us. He knows our weeks. He knows our, he knows our, our he knows our, 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 our fallings, our feelings. He knows our Achilles. He, he knows all about us. And yet he loves us. Let's go on. Ezekiel saw the river. Not only had a source, but had a humble source. It flowed from under. Listen, it flowed from under the threshold. That's what called the lowly beginnings. It flowed from under the temple. Brothers and sisters, God's river of the Holy Spirit will not start to flow until God's people get humble enough. Until we get low before God. The word of God says when we abase ourselves, he will exalt us. Some of God's people are so full of pride and so full of self-importance. And pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. Do you hear me? Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. 
you, it's, it's, it's a silent killer and it kills you slowly without you even knowing it. And I know there's people, I know more Christians will die with broken hearts than swelled heads. But God will never bless a church or anyone who's full of pride. The Bible says pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. The old Puritan said his pride is usually the last thing to leave the heart. And it's usually the first thing to come back. Brothers and sisters, let's stay humble before God. Behold the waters issued from under the threshold. And not only was it a humble source, but it was a holy source. As Ezekiel tells us, the waters came down from under the right side of the house, at the south side of the altar. Every temple had an altar. Now there's no need for altars now, because he's the altar. He, he's the one. But, there was, but we are as temples, we are the temples of God and are no exception. We must have an altar in our lives. There can be no flowing river, no blessing unless there's an altar. And the altar speaks of dedication. The altar speaks of devotion. The altar speaks of sacrifice, of commitment and of cleansing. There's an altar of worship. Can I ask you a wee question this morning? Since you came in here, since you got up, have you worshipped him? Have you, as the worship band sang, have you worshipped him? Have you, I love the woman in the Bible who anointed his feet. Do you remember with her tears? And she let her hair down and she dried her hair. With have you let your hair down, Lily? Have you, you worshipped him? Have you just got lost in wonder, love and praise? As we come to the table this morning, he says to remember me. See, when we get to the table, our worship should be at an apex because of what he did for us at Calvary. And everybody said, Ole W. Tozer said, worship is the rarest jewel in the church, but it can be buried under good things. Not a good thought. It can be buried under good things. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, good things can be, become the enemy of the best things. The best things. The best things. Old Spurgeon said, The worship is the work of the Spirit in the soul returning, returning to its author. Worship is our response to God's love. We can all enter His gates with praise. We can all enter His court. We can all enter His gates with thanksgiving. We can all become in His courts with praise. The Bible says, Let everything that has praised the Lord. But Jesus speaking to the woman at the well says, God is a spirit. And they that worship me, they that worship me, must worship me in spirit and in truth. Oh, may we become worshippers. The psalmist says, let us come and worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Abraham said, I and the Lord will go yonder and we will worship. And we will return. The old Job, you read Job's, read Job's word, read his, uh, his book, he lost everything. He lost everything. When he heard that he lost everything, the Bible says that he fell down upon the ground. He ran to his clothes. What did he do? Complain? I'm getting out of this. God has failed me. Huh? Nobody's came to my help. The Bible says he fell on the ground. He ran to his clothes. And he worshipped. Now, that's hard to do sometimes. That's hard to do. To worship. To lift, lift up your hands when you're in the midst of trial. When you've lost everything. Oh, pastor, I'm, going, I'm losing everything at the minute. But, 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 but listen, I'm struggling to worship. 
Listen, God will accept your worship in the minor key as well as the worship, as well as the major key. And everybody said, How's your altar this morning? How's your altar this morning? Is it in need of repair? Is it broken down like the one was in 1 Kings chapter 18? Brothers and sisters, when God meets us at the altar, you hear me? When God meets us in our worship, the Holy Spirit, the river of the Holy Spirit will flow. Remember, no altar, no blessings, no altar, no river. And the river that Ezekiel saw passed by the altar. Verse 3, the heavenly messenger takes the prophet into this river of water. Waters has become rivers. And he begins to measure. He begins to measure the waters. I call this the doctrine of measurement. If you read the book of Ezekiel, the messenger measures many, many times. He measures the temples, the posts, the gates, the pavements. In other words, God is a God of measurement. God meters everything out. God does nothing random. Whether it's creation, history, time, human life, God measures it all. He leaves nothing to chance or mishap or accident. Our God is a very meticulous God. He's a limited, specific God. He's a God of the detail. Our days are limited. The hairs of our head are numbered. The stars are counted. Listen, God, somebody says God's not in the numbers game, is he not? Twelve baskets, two widows' mates, seven days, one day of rest, uh, feeding of the five thousand. It's all numbers, you know, sir. God is a God of numbers. And listen, child of God, this morning, in this chaos and confusion, in this era that we're living of a, of a, of a world pandemic, God has got everything under control. Everybody said, from the fall of a sparrow to the death of a son, God is working to a plan and to a purpose. Our God is an awesome God. And then the prophet goes on, and he's taking more measurements, and he says, and it went into the river, and it says, and it comes up to the prophet's ankles. This, to me, speaks of a shallow experience. Some believers, and they just want the shallow experience for God. They're saved all right. They're in the water all right. But God has more for you than that. And many of God's people stop here at the ankle-deep experience. You see, there's no risk. There's no risk in the, in the river, in your ankle-deep. No risk. You, you've never dreamed the impossible, but you've never dreamed dreams of impossible. You've never mounted up with wings as eagles. You've never risked anything. There's been no spills in your life. But then again, there's been no thrills. There's been no pain. But then again, there's no gain. There's no sacrificing. There's no commitment. There's no merry moments. No merry moments. No, no alabaster box moments. No giving up your lunch moments and say, Lord, take, Andrew, take my lunch. No giving out cups of cold water. You're, 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 you're playing safe. If anything happens, oh, you can jump. It's easy to jump out of the, it's easy to jump out of the water when you're at the edge and only ankle deep, isn't it? No anointing is fate. No lunching out in the deep. No walking on the water. No taking the tails off the roof. Just ankle deep in the Christian's experience. Is that we are this morning? Am I talking to believers this morning? I don't think I am. Maybe one or two. But you're walking in the water. It's just ankle deep. You're having a wee paddle. You have the wee, the wee handkerchief on. And the thing's rolled up. And you're walking on it. And you're just enjoying it. Huh? And you don't know. But there's waters to swim in. 
And the sea say, see when you're in the water, see the shallow water, it's easy to get away from God. Brothers and sisters, stop paddling about in, in the safety of the waters. Go out a little bit further and trust God. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah, we've got our part to play too, you know that, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't want a shallow experience when there's waters to swim in. I want to drink deep. And I want to drink long. The psalmist says, they that go deep shall see the wonders of the Lord. What did Jesus say to those disciples when they couldn't catch any fish? Launch out into the deep. You're too near the edge. Launch out of the deep. And you know what happened. Even the psalmist says, deep calleth unto deep. Then the man measures again. And the waters come to the knees. From the ankles and to the knees. And it keeps on raining anymore. We'll be going out with the water to the knees. And again he measured a thousand, brought me through the waters, and the waters were up to the knees. <clears throat> this to me speaks of prayer. I'm almost through. Child of God, has the river, has the river touched your prayer life? Has the river touched your prayer life? The river of God. See it, somebody asked see it, Spurgeon. They said, they said, Mr. Spurgeon, what's more important? Reading the Bible or praying? Spurgeon says, I'll ask you a question. What's more important, breathing out or breathing in? Isn't that a a good answer? Spurgeon was brilliant, so he was. How's your prayer life? How's your devotional life? Is it shallow? It's up their knees? Let me say it. I'm going to say it twice. The biggest battle that you will face in life is your daily appointment with God. Keep it. Or every other battle will become bigger. I'm going to say that again. And you know, I, I didn't say that. This didn't come out of my well. I went into somebody's garden and plucked this. Tim Keller, a guy called Tim Keller. He says, the biggest battle you will face in life is your daily appointment with God. Keep it or every other battle will become bigger. If someone was asking me the question this morning, how important it is for a Christian to pray, one answer was saying, how important is it for wings to a bird? How important is fins to a fish? How important is oxygen to your lungs? That's how important and needful for a believer to have a daily prayer life. And I've told this to young believers and young converts, you can pray and not be a Christian, but you can't be a Christian. And not pray. Remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus and the two sons of Zebedee fell asleep when Jesus was praying, and he went over to them and he never chastised me. He just said to them, Could you not could you not watch with me for one hour? Do you know what that tells me? To Christ, prayer was more important than sleep. Prayer was more important than sleep. Let just not have theology, but let's have a wee bit of Neology, do you hear me? Let's not have theology. Good as it is, but let's have a wee bit of neology. There's a lot of talk these days about taking the knee. Eh? If ever the Christian needs to take the knee, it's these days, do you hear me? These are dark days. These are being closed on certain days. These are days we've never experienced before. When church doors are being closed, when they're told not to assemble. We went through two world wars, as far as, you know, and we went through 30 years of trouble, and not once. To close a church, but they're closing the church now. And 
We need to pray for all past. We've got to listen. We ought to pay God rather than I know. I live my life in this pandemic age. I live my life in this Chinese virus age. Whereas I, I am, I am courageous, but not reckless. If I need to go in the house where there's a need, I will go. But I will be courageous. But I will not be reckless. And brothers and sisters, we need to pray. And you see, when we're on our deathbed, now listen to me. When we're on our deathbed, as the old song says, and on that day when my strength is feeling the end draws near and my time has come, we're not going to ascend ourselves. I wish I'd have spent more time on the golf course. I wish I'd have spent more time and improved my swing. I wish I'd have spent more time in the gym. I wish I'd have spent more time on Facebook. I wish I'd have spent more time on the internet. I know what you're not going to say. I'm sorry I spent that much time in prayer. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray. And thank God, there's a prayer meeting here soon, isn't there? Listen, keep praying and keep singing, God. Let the river of the Holy Spirit touch. Let the river of the Holy Spirit touch our knees. And remember this, it's not the length of our prayers. It's the strength of our prayers. Remember Peter when he was drowning, going on the sea, walking on the boat? Lord, she would have said, Lord, we come into your presence. She would have said, Lord, we come into your presence. He'd have drowned. He just shouted out, Lord, save me. Save me. Save me. Remember old Spurgeon again? Spurgeon was in London, as you know, and he seen this big house. And it was worth, it was worth, uh, it was, he, he wanted it for the orphans. He looked at the house and he says, that would be great for the orphans. And he wanted to build an orphanage. And he went to the place, uh, probably with the state agents. And he went in and he said to the man behind the desk, that house up in such such a place, how much is it being sold for? And the guy said, 5,000 pounds. 5,000 pounds over 100 years ago was a lot of money. 5,000 pounds now, if you haven't got it, it's a lot of money. But he says, 5,000. Spurgeon stood there and thought a moment and said, Tell him I'll give him three. And he walked out. And a few days later, the seller of the house came in and he said to the guy in the state agent, He said, Has anybody made an offer on the house? And he says, No. No, there, yes, there's one. There's one. Uh, a chap came in and he offered 3,000. I told him it was worth far more than that. He says, Much did he offer? He says, 3,000 pounds. He says, he said, that house is worth at least 5,000. 3,000? Somebody offered? Yes. He said, what was his name? He says, Charles Spurgeon. He says, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher? He says, yes. He says, give it to him for three. If he starts to pray about it, he'll get it for nothing. <laughs> and listen, see, if you start praying about it for something, you might get it for nothing. You don't know. You don't know. And then all of a sudden... Again, he measured a thousand. I'm almost through. It came, the, uh, the waters came up to their loins or their waist. And you know when the river of God comes up their waist? See when the water comes up to you? Know, know what happens? You see a lot less of the person. And you see more of the river. Isn't that right? You see a lot less of the person and more of it. What does people see when they look at you? What does people see when they come into this house? Do they see you? Do they see me? Or do they see Christ? Do they see the flesh? Or do they see the spirit? Here was John the Baptist said, give me two more minutes. John said, he must increase, 
but I must decrease. The Apostle Paul says, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And see, when you're in the rivers and the waters and they come up to your waist and start covering most of, most of you, most of your body, it covers my mistakes. It covers my faults. It covers my shortcomings. It covers my blunders. It covers my blind spots. It covers my weaknesses. It covers my setbacks. And as I often told you, when you're having your setbacks, God's preparing your comebacks. Always remember that. And also this river comes up the waist. And see when it comes up to the waist, do you know what it touches? It touches the old pockets. Amen? It touches the pockets. What do you mean, Michael? You become a giver. You become a giver. Not just of money, but your time and your love and your compassion. When I first got saved, I, heard, I learned a wee poem. And it's not a wee poem, it's just a wee saying. And it says these words, and it's lived with me over 40 years now. There was a man, they called him Mad. The more he gave, the more he had. And whatever you give to God, whether it's time, fa- listen, he will give you it back. And afterwards, listen, verse 5, and he measured a thousand, and it was rivers that could not pass over, for the waters was risen. Waters were swimming. God has more for you. Child of God, God has more for you. Brother, sister, God has more for you. Can. Pastor Ken, church, Christ counters, God has more for you. He's the God of abundance. And I'm not just talking about stuff. I'm not just talking about materialism. I'm not talking about things, things that will pass away, but more of himself. And you see, when you have more of him, then you've got more of everything. He gives us life. He meets our need as it more abundantly. David says, his cup runs over. Paul says he meets our need according to his riches and glory. Not according to our need, but he meets our need according to his riches and glory. There's always 12 baskets left over. He doesn't put a thousand stars in the sky. He puts billions. He doesn't plant one flower on a mountainside, but there is a profusion of them. He gives us waters to swim in. And he comes and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. I'm finished just want to say one thing to you. Jesus is enough. Do you hear me? Jesus is... What? Jesus is enough. Do you hear me? Jesus is enough. I'm asking the Lord to give you a new make. Jesus. I'm back to front. Story of my life. See those old gadgets? Doesn't matter, hold it. Listen, Jesus is enough Jesus is enough Jesus satisfies he's more than enough and he can satisfy the longing soul so drink deep and drink long because brothers and sisters there's waters to swim in and everybody said I'm through let's all pray shall we let's all pray Father in heaven we thank you for this time spent in your presence And as we pray again, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. We thank you, Lord, for the sense of thy presence, for the worship, for the witness, for the time spent round your table. And Lord, just bless your word unto our hearts. Bless Pastor Ken and his wee wife and family. Bless his his congregation, brothers and sisters, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing and for, for what you're going to do. Glorify your name. And may we come, we realize this morning, We're coming to a God who's more than enough, who will meet our every need and satisfy 
our every desire. Thank you for hearing this morning. We give you the glory and honor in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and thank you for having me.